Joseph got sold into slavery and now we hear the Lord is with him and the Lord made him successful. And that should be an encouragement to us, shouldn't it? Because if Joseph is in slavery in Potiphar's house and the Lord is with him and makes him successful, then no matter what our situation is, that's a great opportunity for the Lord, isn't it? It's kind of one of those paradoxical verses that you find. When you hit a bad patch in life, the first thing you think probably isn't Praise God, I'm so happy to be in this horrible spot. (laughs) And honestly, Joseph probably wasn't thinking that either. Pastor Daniel is going to show in his teaching today that despite Joseph's situation, Joseph's attitude and behavior were the kind that pleased God. And that is why God was blessing him. This is a good lesson for us to grab onto. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 39 as he begins his message, Joseph in Egypt. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 39, as we continue our study through the book of Genesis. Can you believe it? We've been in the book of Genesis for about eight months now. We're never getting out of this book. Jesus is going to come back, and we're going to be soaking in Genesis. Can't go wrong with that. Can't go wrong with that. Now... Remember, we're in this last section now. The focus is now on Jacob's 12 sons. We started to see the prominence and the preeminence of Joseph. Joseph was the first son with Jacob and his beloved wife, Rachel. He had had a number of other sons, but Jacob loved Rachel the most. And so Joseph was highly favored by his father, It doesn't mean that parents should favor their children. We saw where this ended up, where Joseph's brothers despised him, how Joseph was given a special coat that had many colors. He was also a bit of a dreamer. He was receiving these prophetic dreams that his brothers would bow down to him. That added insult to injury. They were obviously frustrated with Joseph, and they just decided, we need to get rid of this guy. They thought about killing him. They ended up selling him into slavery, down to Egypt. That's where chapter 37 ended. And then, of course, a few weeks ago, we took chapter 38. And as I like to say when we're studying the Bible, I didn't write this stuff. I'm just telling you what it said. That was a debacle with Judah and his daughter-in-law, Tamara. She pretended to be a harlot, and he solicited her. They became with child of harlotry. But if you remember, that chapter ended, it ended with the realization that in the messianic line of Jesus, there's all sorts of people who have problems. And that's not there by chance, that's there by design. And so if you're in here today and you're saying, you know, my life's been kind of a mess, things haven't gone the way that I imagined that they would, it just proves that you're God's kid, really. Because Jesus never promised us that everything would be honky-dory. 
He didn't promise us that everything was going to go exactly the way that we hoped it would. Jesus promised us that he'd be with us no matter what happens. And that is the hope of a Christian. If you're in here today and you have a false expectation that because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, that life is going to be easy, let the words of Jesus really soak in and dwell deep in our hearts where he said in John 16, 11, in this world you will have what? Tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I wish that life wasn't fraught with issues. I wish that. I pray for that. But when life happens, that's where our faith and trust in Jesus comes in and really grounds our hearts because Jesus says, I'll be with you in the midst of it. And that tangible presence of Jesus in our lives, we wouldn't trade it in for the world, really. I think of John G. Patton, who was a European missionary to Vanuatu. At that time, Vanuatu was inhabited by cannibals, people who ate people. And John Patton, if you read his autobiography, yes, an autobiography, he lived there for about 30 years. He never got eaten. Praise the Lord. It's fascinating that now, 120 years later, Vanuatu is constantly ranked as the most beautiful place to live in the world. A little ways off the coast of Australia. But when John Patton went, they ate people. That's what they did. And John Patton tells a story about he had been there about 20 years and there were some guys who wanted to kill him and they had muskets. And he ended up climbing up a tree. And as he was up in the tree, he saw the guys who were looking for him with guns. And he said, you know, I was terrified, but the presence of Jesus was never so strongly with me than it was up in that tree. That's kind of power. Now, listen, I mean, I, we'd all wish that the presence of Jesus would be tangible when we're just kind of walking in the ice cream aisle of Fred Myers or something. But when calamity strikes and Jesus is present, he changes the calamity. He makes a hard time sweet. And that's the hope that we have as Christians. That's the hope that we have, the presence of Jesus. Now, we're going to jump in now to chapter 39, and my hope is to take three chapters. I just want to be more long-winded than those guys on TV. At least I'll have some substance, Lord willing. At least what I'm going to say, I know that the person who wrote this will deliver on his promises. Amen? Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 39. I'm sorry for that dig. I feel I'm going to repent of that later. Don't send the email. I, I probably shouldn't have gone there. We need to pray for our leaders, as the Bible says. So <laughs> I'm just going to move on before I dig myself into a hole here. Now, Joseph... Genesis 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper 
in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So Joseph ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar, which his name means devoted to the son. Historically, according to the oral law, Potiphar was a chief of the eunuchs, which it was very common in that day that people who worked in the court of the ruling authority would be castrated so as not to defile the leader's concubines. It was very common in that day. There's really no proof actually in the scripture that he was an actual eunuch, but most people just assume that based on his rank. And we find that Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house. And in verse 2, even while in slavery, you get this strange verse that the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And I think about that. We just found out Joseph got sold into slavery and now we hear the Lord is with him and the Lord made him successful. And that should be an encouragement to us, shouldn't it? Because if Joseph is in slavery in Potiphar's house and the Lord is with him and makes him successful, then no matter what our situation is, that's a great opportunity for the Lord, isn't it? That's kind of one of those paradoxical verses that you find. He's in slavery. He's in Egypt. He's in Potiphar's house. But the Lord was with him. The Lord was present. And the Lord made him successful. Now, in verse 3, notice this. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, verse 4, and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had was put under his authority. Notice, Potiphar saw the fingerprints of God in the life of Joseph, his own slave, a guy who he bought with money. And we have to realize that we do not live in a vacuum. That there are people who are watching our lives. I don't do that to freak you out or to guilt trip you. That's just the reality. If you are a Christian and people know that you're a Christian, maybe you put it on Facebook under your religious views or whatever. When people know that you're a Christian, they're watching. They're trying to see, is there really anything to this Jesus stuff? And would to God that we would actually show the light of Christ where we are. When was the last time you asked God to bless your boss in a way that he would know that Jesus was with you? That's a cool intercessory prayer. When you think about it, the Lord saved us that we would be witnesses. When you think about that word witness in the Greek, the word witness is the word martyr. When we think about the word martyr, we think of somebody who physically gives up their lives for their faith in Jesus. But you and I, we give up our rights to ourselves. We present ourselves as living sacrifices so that the world may see what the life of somebody who doesn't do whatever they want, but says, I'm going to do the will of him who sent me. And our lives are meant to be witnesses. And that changes the way we go to work tomorrow, doesn't it? When you realize that you are a paid missionary at your job, that they actually pay you to be there in Jesus' name. Wow. No support raising. You got support. You do a job. You're a bookkeeper. 
You're a checkout clerk. You're a teacher. You're a bus driver. You're a politician. You're or whatever it is that you are, but you do it as a witness to the Lord. And when we live our lives as unto the Lord and not as unto our bosses, that totally changes the way we do our jobs. Because we know that the Lord sees even when our bosses do not. We do it for his praise and his glory, not necessarily a better performance review. Although I do believe that if we serve as unto the Lord, we will have pretty good performance reviews because we'll be the nicest, most conscientious, hardest working employees that they have. And they'll say, man, why is it that you work so hard? And why is it that when you make a mistake, you say, hey, I'm really sorry I made a mistake and I'll try not to do that again? You don't pass the buck and you don't step over people and they say, why are you like that? You'll say, well, do you really want to know? Say, yeah, I really want to know. Well, because I, I'm actually doing it for Jesus and you're getting the benefit. One sentence. But when a life is lived that puts the whole substance to that testimony, it changes something because they might say, well, listen, I don't know about all that Jesus stuff, but I wish all my employees were like so-and-so. That's what happens when we live as unto the Lord and we're witnesses for him. And it's interesting, Joseph is a slave, but by the time verse 4 rolls around, we find that Joseph is starting to be elevated in Potiphar's house. He found favor in his sight. Joseph served Potiphar. I love that. Joseph was a servant. He was a son of royalty, but he was a servant to this man Potiphar. Potiphar made him overseer over his house in verse 5. And so it was from the time that he made him overseer of the house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hands. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. This is awesome. Potiphar trusted Joseph so much that all Potiphar knew that he had was the bread that was in front of him. He was completely sold out for Joseph. He's like, this guy, I don't even need to know what's going on. I know that this guy's got my back. And that blessing of the Lord was upon Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. And then you get this strange, out of nowhere, Joseph was a good-looking dude as well. That would be the New Daniel translation right there. Now, Joseph was a stud. That's what that means. And I'm not being, I mean, that's what he was. He was handsome in form and appearance. So it means he was cut, he was good, he was ready, and he was handsome. You know, and it's, it's interesting. Why is that in there? Because of verse 7, look at what happens. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So Potiphar's wife sees this young, servant-hearted, godly man who happens to be good-looking, and she starts to long for him. Listen, everybody, men and women, listen. 
We have to be careful with the lust of the eyes. We have to be careful. I know that men are incredibly visual. That's why you ladies, we dress in a way that is modest. As we like to say, modest is always hottest. That's a good one, right? You guys will tweet that one. Modest is hottest. Why? Because we love our brothers enough not to stumble them. We realize that men are visual, but women are also visual. And we have to be careful what we lay our eyes upon. And we have to make sure the things that we're looking at are not causing us to long for things that we ought not to. Nobody ever became an alcoholic on the first drink. We have to ask ourselves, are we putting fences around these things? Potiphar's wife wasn't. She was watching him. He was a good-looking guy, very successful. Her husband trusted him, and she began to long for him, and she was very forthright with him. She straight up said, let's lay down together, lie with me. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes here. In Joseph's culture, at this point in his life, he probably already had been married. People got married a lot younger then. He was in slavery. He was in a foreign land. He was away from his family, and he's a slave. And now he's being propositioned by a very powerful woman. But Joseph is having none of it. He's not playing with this at all. Look at what he says. He refused. And he said to his master's wife, now this is some gumption here, because slaves didn't talk back to the master's wives. But he said, he refused, and look, he says, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has into my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. He's saying, look, your husband has given me authority over everything, the only thing he's kept back from me is you because you're his wife. See, he respects who he is, his position. And then I love this, this last little phrase here, verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. See, Joseph doesn't call adultery of the heart just a little flirting. He doesn't call something by its, it's just, you know, I'm just trying to feel a little bit better. You know, I just, I like to get my little buzz on. It's not that big of a deal. No, it's great wickedness. See, we live in a culture that likes to diminish sin, call it something other than what it is. Joseph doesn't play around. And I love that about Joseph. I love that about the Bible. He calls it what it is, this great wickedness. And what does he say? And I don't want to sin against God. Man, I like this about Joseph, because Joseph is not playing around with his faith. He's not playing around with his spiritual life. He's not even willing to entertain it. He knows what it is, he calls it for what it is, and he moves on. And I know, in a group this size, that some of you need to hear this right now. What you are doing that is sin, it's great wickedness if you're doing it. And you're not only sinning against yourself and somebody else, but you're sinning against God. And we should take that seriously. 
When we look at the cross of Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith, when we see Jesus' broken body and those nails and that lashing that he received and the crown of thorns, he's there because of what we're doing right now. Right now. And we should not sin that grace may abound. God is the reason Joseph doesn't sin. Not that he'd get caught. God's the reason. We have to be careful with situational ethics in regards to sin. Many people, they get caught and they repent. But we should say, I am not looking to break the heart of a God who loves me with such an extravagant love. When we rebel against God in our actions, it's against him. I think about David in Psalm 51. As he spoke about his sin with Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Let's call what we're doing what it is. Let's give it the names that God gives it and let's repent of it. Let's not dishonor him. Now, you would think Joseph did good. He just put his foot down, but look at verse 10. And so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. She didn't quit. And you have to realize this. Everybody, listen. Whatever it is that's your temptations, it doesn't let up after one time. It would be great if we just resisted things and then they're gone. I would love that. Life doesn't happen that way. These things keep coming back. We have no control over what tempts us. All we have control over is how we respond to it. Temptation is common to all of us. Why? Because we have a sin nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve. That, like, all of a sudden something happens and your first reaction is just wrong. It just flat out is. And no matter how long you walk with Jesus, oftentimes your first reaction is the wrong one. Because we have a fallen nature, our first response is normally out of our fallenness. But once that temptation comes at that moment of decision, when we either give into it or resist it, that's where the accountability comes in. So if you're tempted, that just shows that you're human on this side of the fall. But what we do with that temptation, that is where the culpability comes in. And we have to realize that the things that are going to tempt us, they're going to be there every single day. It never fails. There's not ever going to come a day in your life when you're not tempted by something in some way. It's all about what we do with it. Jesus is real. So if you're working, did you ever think of yourself as a paid missionary? What a concept. The world has done so much to make the idea of being an employee seem like something that we should resent and try to escape. Pastor Daniel's teaching showed us today that even when you're in a tough situation like Joseph was, 
God can still make it a profitable place to be. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel continues his teaching, Joseph in Egypt. We're going to hear about one of Joseph's greatest challenges up to this point in his life. His devotion to God is going to cause him to get in hot water. The idea of getting in trouble because you do the right thing is repulsive to everybody. Doing good things should be rewarded, not punished. But you're going to see God can use this bad situation for the ultimate good. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.